Um, I do want to mention some things that have been happening uh, this this um, this last couple of weeks. Really, We've, we're we're still not getting a lot of good, healthy news reports of what's going on in the Middle East. There are some places you can go to actually find this stuff out. Um, I would say probably my top three or four places that I get uh, information from. My number one place, maybe number one place, would be um, on Telegram is with uh, Amir Sarfati. If you don't know who that is, look, look him up, Amir, A-M-I-R. He, he, is, he lives in Israel. He's there. He's showing you things, and he'll show you, he'll show you when something's being bombed or, or people are, are moving around, and, and um, you, you're not getting that stuff on the American news. I also look at uh, Joel Rosenberg. Uh, he's, he's always bringing some good information out. His is a little more spread out. Not, I mean, Amir is sending stuff like 300 things a day. <laughs> so, um, but it's good. It's all important information. I also subscribe to all the Jewish newspapers. Some are liberal, some are conservative. But it gives me a feel of what's going on there. But there's, there's, we're not getting all the information. Uh, the, as I mentioned last week, the Iran has been backing Hezbollah and the Houthis, but now Iran has stepped out on their own, and they are bombing uh, different sites, including um, installations that have American soldiers in them. Uh, we're not really hearing a lot about that on CNN. CNN, you know, MSNBC seems to be kind of quiet all of a sudden about this kind of stuff. But they're bombing American targets, and uh, and now America is is um, kind of protecting the ships. They're still not really protecting Israel so much. I, I mentioned last week President Biden is, is backing away from Israel, and I think that's going to continue. But there is a, a lot of stuff that's going on over there. Now, uh, the United Nations released a statement this last week, and, and things are, these things are not coincidence. Timing is very important when it comes to this kind of stuff. The United Nations is an extremely anti-Semitic group. Okay, They hate Israel. They, they side with terrorists all over the world. They are not a good organization. We should have pulled out of the United Nations a long time ago. America has no business being involved with the United Nations. And, they, and they, uh, they're extremely anti-Semitic. They talk all the time about how I- Israel are the bad guys. They're the terrorists. But they don't ever mention Hezbollah or Hamas or the Houthis or, or Iran or anything else. Well, they came out with a statement this week that to me is pretty telling and very timely that they have acknowledged the fact that Iran has um, enough nuclear material to make plenty of bombs and that they are anticipating Iran using those uh, bombs in the near future. Now, I've been saying for a year and a half, Iran has the nuclear material. I think they they struggled with uh, sending units, uh, how how to... get that, you know, like missiles and things, how to get the nuclear material, but they, they actually set off an ICBM this last week, and uh, I think what they were doing was testing it. It wasn't nuclear, but I think they were testing to make sure that their technology is good there. So with everything going on with them and then China and Taiwan and everything, guys, it's getting a little crazy around the world right now. But at the end of the day, we still belong to Jesus, and that's where to, that's where to keep your mind is um, pray for Israel. You should always be praying for Israel. Pray that our country will not continue to separate itself from Israel. It will harm us. Spiritually, we will be harmed by this. And so um, 
we've got to back Israel, but it doesn't appear in the end times that America does. And so it's, it's, it's just getting a little, little crazy over there. One more thing that's happening with that is South Africa has really been uh, um, <clears throat> coming after Israel a lot lately. Well, this last week, they, um, they made uh, uh, mention of the fact that they are going to take the United States and the U.K. to the International Court of Justice because of our involvement with Israel. And they said that the, the quote is, because we are assisting to a genocide, which their English struggles, but that's what they said, is assisting to a, ju- a genocide. That's what America and the U.K. is doing because we're helping Israel. As you, if you're not on Israel's side, it doesn't mean Israel's perfect, nobody's perfect, but if you're not on Israel's side, you're on the wrong side. It doesn't matter the other sides. There can be hundreds. If you're not on Israel's side, you're not on the biblical focus of, of uh, the end times and everything side. And so just to, just to help us process that. Last thing, I'm going to talk more about this next week. This is our, um, our commitment card, our pledge card for our building. We, we are building this year. We are building this year. Um, we are building this year. Uh, I keep, thank you. I keep, I remind myself of that regularly because with all this crazy stuff going on, sometimes you think, really, are we building this year? But we are. We we, we've been set up to do this. We've been putting money in the bank. We've had to slow that down um, be, because of different reasons coming in through the, this last winter. Um, but we're building this year, and uh, we want you to be committed to this. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But if you want uh, one of these cards right now to begin kind of processing, thinking through this, praying about this, uh, we're going to be taking these up next week, although, I mean, you can give it whenever. But but uh, we're going to be, because I'm going to focus on the finances and kind of explain uh, a, a priority list of God, okay, just so that you know, the priority list of God doesn't start with building fund, okay? I'll explain that next week, but uh, we do think it's important. So if you want to grab one of these, in fact, if we got some of the guys, do you have some of those right now? If somebody wants one of these real quick, raise your hand and uh, we'll, we can give you one and then you can make a decision, pray about it, and do whatever, and then we're going to be taking these up next week. We're going to give everybody one so that you have to hold it in your hand next week and so that it'll burn your fingers, and, uh, and then we'll talk about it. So, all right, continuing with this series, All In, we're, we're looking specifically at our, our life on a personal level. What does it mean to be all in? We looked at Jesus. We've looked at what does it mean to be all in with God's Word, but this is kind of the uh, big picture kind of mentality. When you, when you think about you and who you are as an individual, what, what do you think about when it comes to being all in? How do you define that? Again, um, it's, it's uh, not um, important for you in your personal walk. It's good information, but it's not, it's not important for you to figure out what the person next to you thinks all in means or what I think all in means. I'm going to obviously talk about that, but I'm going to try to show you this from God's word, what this looks like. How you define all in determines your relationship with God. How you define um, the importance of scripture, that determines your relationship with God. How you um, see prayer as, uh, are you all in with prayer? How you look at all these things determines your relationship with God. All the extra things, people and circumstances and, and um, you know, listening to Bible studies and all this other stuff, those are external forces that can af- affect who you are, but it's in your heart and your mind how you look at Jesus will determine how you serve him, 
how you look at him, how, how you decide how big he is or how, uh, how transcendent or how majestic or whether he created you or not. I mean, all those different factors. That will determine how you serve Jesus Christ, right? So when we're looking at all in, specifically with our life, what does that look like? So going back to our mission statement, um, this is, I think this is uh, important for us. It's priority is to understand that, that at Church of Briargate, we're, we're, we're really going to be about Jesus and about us serving Jesus and bringing others to him. That is, that is who we are and that will always be who we are. That th- there's a lot of things that churches can and will be involved with. But at the end of the day, for us here, it's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about what he wants for us. And it's going to be about um, our souls, our lives, and then all those people around us. So Church of Briargate exists to enable people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally draw close to Jesus Christ and to bring as many others along as possible. To me, this is an all-end kind of mentality. My life, my life belongs to Jesus. I think for, for, for so long in, in American Christianity, we've gotten farther and farther and farther, I think, away from Jesus being the center, and he's kind of become part of the conversation rather than, you know, my life is about Jesus. Well, we, what we do, and this is normal human behavior, doesn't make us bad, it's just actually normal, but, but Peter says that we're supposed to be peculiar people or abnormal we're not supposed to be normal. Uh, normal says that uh, you focus on um, you and your, and your circle, your family, or your finances, or your job, or whatever. You focus on you. And Jesus says, no, that's not actually how it works. Jesus says you focus on him, and he'll take care of the you. He'll take care of all this stuff, but you've got to focus on him. And that is a, there's a big tug a uh, tug of war going on right there, back and forth, is do I really focus on Jesus and then he takes care of everything? Or how easy and how normal and how every day is it for us to focus on uh, the stuff and then Jesus is kind of there to bless it every now and then, take care of us. Uh, you know, when we get in trouble, right? When, when things go bad, we, we turn to Jesus. But, but actually, it's supposed to be our existence, when you get up in the morning, it's about Jesus. When you go to work, it's about Jesus. The people at work, they were created by him, and it's about Jesus. And your marriage, about Jesus. Your family, about Jesus. And um, it, it can be difficult sometimes to keep your focus and priority there, but the more that it is that, the more that it becomes second nature, the easier it is in the process, right? So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is asking these uh, rhetorical questions to start with. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? If those are true things, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. This is an all-in with our life mentality. Agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. That's a very difficult thing to do. Right, agree with each other. Um, the way my wife has always said it, and the, the the term would be being agreeable with each other is a, is probably a good or better way to say this. Be agreeable with each other. It doesn't mean agree with everything somebody says or does, but it means being an agreeing agreeing mentality. My wife said this to our kids all of their life. She still says it to them because it appears 
that when your kids become grown adults, they don't just magically get along. It seems like they still struggle with things. So my wife has said this for my kids' entire life, is prefer one another. Put the other one first. Prefer one another. My kids tell you that. What's something, there's two or three things that they, Linda would always say to them. Prefer one another is one of those. Prefer one another. Put, put the other person first. Guys, that's difficult with anybody. It can be extremely difficult with siblings. But prefer one another. Just, just put the other one first. He says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. This is, this is where the church struggles sometimes, because not because we're not supposed to do this or we don't have the capacity to do this, but because as church people, we don't do what God has said when it comes to this, right? When I was, years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for about seven years, six years. And, um, and then I became the lead pastor. And, and uh, the churches that I was involved with, my first church, I was there just long enough to get a drink of water. And then I went to two other churches for about three years each. Okay. But the, those two churches I watched, and they were good churches. Both of them were good churches. Um, they were different. Some of them struggled in different ways than the other and all that kind of thing. But uh, they were good churches. But I would, we would come to the annual business meeting. And... Every single time. And I, growing up in church, I saw this too. You'd have a business meeting of church people talking about God stuff, and it would be a big fight. Like screaming and yelling at each other. And I, and I had never, ever been in a business meeting my entire life as a child or as a youth pastor where it didn't break down into people being mean and rude to each other. Right? So that's why when the first time I started going to political meetings, people are like, wow, it's contentious. I'm like, that's it's same old, same old for me. It's just a, but, but here's the thing is as a, as a youth pastor, I looked at this, I watched this, and I said, I will not let that happen as a pastor. I will not let that happen. And there's a couple basic things. I can explain them to you, but there's a couple basic things that uh, we do around here that, that contribute to that. I've never, as a lead pastor, I became a lead pastor in 1996, and uh, 26 years old, and I've never had a contentious business meeting, ever, since 1996. Here's the basic reasons why. I realized back in those days that the leadership of the church kind of looked at everybody else as a little bit lesser than them. They were the important people, and everybody else just needed to do what they asked. Okay? And I decided... I first don't want that kind of responsibility. If things go crazy wrong around here, I'm blaming you guys. <laughs> I'm not owning this. But if it's all my ideas and everything I'm doing, then i got nobody to blame but me. So I think one of the important things in church and in, as a pastor I work at this is to try to educate everybody I can as much as I can about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that's why sometimes people think I, I over-talk some of this kind of stuff, which is okay. I don't mind being accused of that. Um, that's, that's a good thing to me is, oh, no, here he's explaining this again. Like our building, things like that. Oh, here we go again. Um, because then you're not caught off guard. Because I have found this is how human beings work, is you get to a business meeting. You've been thinking about something. Um, one of the... 
one of the ministries in the church, and you've been thinking about this and thinking about this, but you don't know that much about it. So you come to the, the, the business meeting. Now we're all together. We're going through this, the order of the business meeting. And by the way, if you've been to any of our business meetings, we're going to have one uh, the 20th of March. Um, it's always the last or the second of the last week of March. We try to figure that out with spring break. But uh, we'll, we'll be very relaxed. We go by the rules. I know how to go by Robert's rules order, but we're very relaxed. I want you to feel comfortable. Because why? If you don't know what's going on and you don't feel comfortable talking and you don't know if this is the right time or things like that, you'll, you'll have a tendency, most people have a tendency to, to um, blurt out in an attacking kind of way because it sets everybody back a little bit and then you don't look like you don't know what's going on. The confrontation becomes the focus, the, uh, the, the, the kind of a mean remark becomes the focus and then you look like you're in the driver's seat rather than you don't know what's going on. I've seen that forever. And so what we try to do is we try to educate everybody with everything that's going on around here. And at a business meeting, if you want to talk, talk. Because we want to know what you think. And we want to be able to discuss this and then be able to vote and make good decisions. Because we truly are a congregational church and we make decisions by the, by the vote of the people, not by uh, some kind of denominational mentality or by some kind of fiat or something else. And so me, the board, we don't see ourselves as like these superior leaders that, that we know everything and nobody else does. I don't think that's healthy. We, we actually, I, I, I think this is an important sentence for us. We are trying to work together with one mind and one purpose. That we're trying to, to really serve Jesus as a body. Not, not just get my way done, your way done kind of thing. Now, if you come to our board meetings, those are a little different. They can be a little... Um, spicy. <laughs> because we're actually having some very difficult, hard decisions with each other, right? We're really kind of breaking some things down sometimes, and we don't always agree. But the good thing is, is we really work at this on our board. We have, our board members believe in each other, and so we can be a little more direct. We can say, I don't think that's cool. And I've had, I've had board members say to me, Pastor, I don't think you're right about this. I think you're wrong. What, explain this. Or, okay, that's good. I mean, they're, they're going to be judged by God for that, but I think it's good. <laughs> and so, so here's the thing. Are we with one mind and one purpose? See, this is, let me give you an example of this. I've watched this for years in church thinking. The reason that churches can devolve to a point where they're picking and attacking each other is because they, they have taken their eyes off of Jesus. They have taken their eyes off of what we are about and it's Jesus. This is always the way I illustrate it. If you, if you have a circle of people and everybody is facing in, and I've done this at different times in services to illustrate this, but if I got, let's say, 10 of you up here and put you in a circle, everybody's going to be looking at each other and they're going to be uncomfortable standing up here and they're laughing and, <laughs> and it's all fun and funny and all this kind of stuff. But if you make them stand there for days, weeks, months, it doesn't take that long. Um, pretty soon they start noticing everything wrong with every person in that circle. Every person. I did not realize they were cross-eyed. I mean, those kind of things, right? One ear is higher than the other. And they start recognizing all this stuff. And then it devolves even further into being critical of this stuff. And pretty soon somebody's saying something. All they have to do is say a word and it grates on you. Because we've been having our focus 
inward on each other. Instead of, if you take everybody in that same circle, and all they do is turn out and look outward, there's a few things that happen. One thing that immediately happens is, is without realizing it, they are back-to-back, and they are protecting each other's back. Without even trying, now they go from being critical to being protective. And then also, their eyes are looking out there, which is how Jesus has designed us. He designed us to look to the lost, to look to the world. And he constantly is telling this all through Scripture. He's telling us, get your eyes on Jesus and realize that there are people dying without him around you every single day. But if you're looking inward, you don't see that. You see the color of the carpet or you see the, 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 the stuff. And we start arguing about the stuff. Instead of keeping your eyes on Jesus, look out to the outside of what Jesus is trying to do in your life, in your world. And then this place, this setting, becomes a a reinforcement, becomes a confirmation, becomes refreshment, becomes worship, becomes God's word, and all those kind of things instead of, oh, did you see so-and-so? It doesn't. It doesn't matter whether I saw so-and-so. It matters whether or not we were together in Jesus, whether we're worshiping Jesus. And he's explaining this. He says in verse 3, don't be selfish. That's normal human nature. But again, um, God calls us to be abnormal, calls us to be peculiar. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. We do that, right? We do that in different settings in different ways. We try to impress other people. Well, you know this when you see others do it, but it's difficult when you see yourself do it. It's when somebody starts trying to impress somebody, it, it's, uh, it seems hollow, right? It seems shallow. But then we'll do the exact same thing. Guess what? It looks shallow and hollow to the other people too. It says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Let, let me give you a little clue here because I really do think when I, and, and I've worked at this, by the way, so follow me. Don't, don't throw stones until you get to the end of this. But <clears throat> I've worked at this over the years where when I step into a room of people, I think to myself, what a one, no, that's not what I think to myself. I think to myself, I am the coolest guy in this room. And you're like, man, he is arrogant. It's not really what's going on here. Because I didn't used to think that way. And then one day I realized, well, wait a second. God created me, and he created me in his image. I'm going to chip off the old block of the creator of the universe, right? And then on top of that, he designed me specifically, and he gave me certain gifts and abilities and talents to be very uniquely used by him. He's also in charge of every single moment, every single second, every single setting, everything. And so... That means he's in charge of the room, everybody in that room, and he's in charge of me. And so when I step into the room, I can say to myself, I'm the coolest guy in here. As long as I'm following Jesus. As long as I'm connected to him and as long as I keep my eyes on Jesus, I have worth and I have purpose and I'm important and I need to be in this room. I don't always know why. I don't always know the circumstances. But the moment I start pulling away from Jesus, I become the least cool person in the room. Because now I'm trying to do it on myself. And I don't, there's nothing, I don't bring much to the table. 
as just Scott, but as a Christ trying to be Christ-like follower of Jesus, I bring a lot to the table. And here's what else happens, is I really think that everybody else in that room should also be thinking they are the coolest person in the room because they're with Jesus. And the people that I need to talk to are the ones that don't realize that it's only in Jesus that they can be that. And they're trying to be cool within themselves, and they will never be. But they will be amazing if they're with Jesus. Jesus will use them the way he designed. He will let that flourish the way he designed. You're an extremely important person in every place you go. And Jesus knew you were going to go there, and he wants to use you there. You just don't see the big picture most of the time, as nobody does really. But when you step into a place, you're important. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. You're vital to that setting. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. And he needs you there. That's why it's also important while you're there, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because when you start thinking, well, I got this by myself, you're really going to embarrass yourself and Jesus is going to be going, that's not what I needed. Right? It says, don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests. Take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, which is those things. That's what he's saying. That's why he finishes it with that. All this stuff I just said, that's how Jesus thinks. Now think that way. If you're going to say, I'm all in, my whole life is about Jesus, then it has to start there. Humble yourself. You're everything in Christ. You're nothing outside of Christ. Start there. James chapter 2. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. The, the church really struggles here in America. We, we, we couch it a little differently. It, it looks a little differently, but follow this. So, so you see, faith is, by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. What we do in the church is we separate those two things, and we say, I'm going to do a bunch of good deeds. But faith is supposed to be the driving force of these good deeds. And faith isn't just a belief that God can do something. Faith is a surrendering of yourself to the king of everything who is Jesus Christ. So faith doesn't say, I believe in Jesus. Faith says, I, can, I believe Jesus. When he says this, when he do, this is who he is, I'm going to go there. I'm going to get into that mentality. When you, when you go to work, I'm going here because the Lord has called me here. That, the, that God has produced this, this opportunity in this moment, and I'm following him. That it's all about Jesus. And you say, okay, then, then when faith produces, what's it going to produce? It's going to produce action. If faith is not producing action in your life, according to James here, you really need to second guess whether it's really faith. Or is it something else? You can have a Christian mindset or mentality without actually having faith in Jesus Christ, that he is actually the everything. You can do Christianity. And specifically, I know this very real personally, you can, if you grow up in the church, you can do Christianity without ever actually interacting with Jesus. You can do the, you can do the stuff. You can do all the church things. I've even seen that at different times as a minister, cycling through different phases of life and different 
ups and downs and things like that, where I have kind of uh, phoned it in, and I have been the pastor. I wasn't like a bad guy, but I wasn't really passionately going after Jesus. I was doing the church thing. Why? I, I, I mean, you do this long enough, you know what you need to do. I, 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 this is the way I get it quickest. This is the way for me personally. I can always tell, obviously, I don't play on Sunday mornings the, the music side of things. Now that we're at three services, my wife has told me I'm going to more. But, but I, I, I know the difference between setting down and being part of a worship setting and any instrument up here, whatever it is, playing that instrument, even leading and things like that, and it not really being about the Holy Spirit. It's about, I'm a musician, I know how to do this, and I can get from point A to point B um, successfully, right? But I also know the difference of worshiping God at those moments through that either that instrument or the voice or whatever. I know the difference in the two. I've done both. I know what it is to preach a message listening to the Holy Spirit and trying to follow the Holy Spirit and preach a message because that's my job on Sunday mornings. I know the difference in those two things. You say, you've preached messages without the Lord? Well, it's still His Word, so there's that. I've got a little bit of a safety net, but yeah, I've, I've got up and preached messages just because that's my job and I put the sermon together. Because I don't, I don't want to do that. I haven't done that in years, by the way. It wasn't like, some of you are like, yeah, two weeks ago that sermon was. <laughs> we could tell. No, it's not. Don't judge. But, but here's the thing. Guys, I want to be all in with the Lord all the time. And I, and I, and I think you do too, right? I want to be all in with the Lord. I don't, want, I don't want my life to have Jesus' time and then the rest. I want to be all in. He says, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? Shouldn't your life be, be um, displaying what your passion is? Shouldn't your life be, be about what you're passionate about? You can talk to somebody for just uh, 10 minutes, sitting on an airplane, talk to somebody for 10 minutes, and you'll figure out kind of quickly what they like what they don't like. There's, I could give you 20 examples, but talk to somebody that really likes um, golf, bring up golf and watch them just go, right? All of a sudden they're talking, talk, ah, ah, ah. right? Here's some easy ones nowadays. Talk to somebody about CrossFit, if they're a CrossFitter, and you're just like, ah. Right? Just because it's not your passion doesn't mean it's not theirs, and they're passionate about it. I had a guy I was talking to yesterday. He knows I have a Jeep, and he goes, yeah, I'm sorry. I have a, I have a Toyota Tacoma. And he was like, apologize to me. <laughs> and he should have been. <laughs> I will show you my faith by my good deeds. I did have to admit to him, when you buy a Toyota, you actually get to drive it and not work on it. When you have a Jeep, you just spend most of your time working on it. Guys, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You're going to see what I really believe in by what my life does. I don't think it's semantical games. I think this is reality. When you step into eternity, 
With Jesus, he says, well done. That is an active form of that word in the Greek, well done. That means you did stuff. You didn't just think it or intention it or hope to someday get around to it or really verbalize it a lot. You actually did stuff. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, serving the Lord and doing the stuff. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Well, good for you. And he's, he's being sarcastic here, but think is what he's saying. He says, you have faith that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror, which the way he says this makes, makes you wonder. What I think he was saying to them, the demons believe just like you, but the difference is the demons actually tremble. And we can casually take God for granted. The demons know there's one God, and it consumes them. We say there's one God, but what does it look like? And he's saying apparently the demons are recognizing this better than we are. That's kind of a scary way to say that. He says, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So I broke this into some categories for us to process Um, I'm going to talk about one of these next week, but three things. What what is our life priorities? Three things, time, relationships, and resources. What does our life look like? How do you prioritize these things? Are you all in with these kind of things? So the the first one here to look at is time. Um, To me, the the most important commodity that we will ever have is time. You're only going one direction with time. Relationships can come and go. Money can come and go. Uh, Gifts and abilities, you can develop them, grow. You can lose things. But time is, is marching on steadily, very quickly, and it never turns around. And you can't go back and repeat. You ever, you ever wish you could go back to a specific time in your life and change something? Or do something different? I've had this conversation with my kids. I, I, I did the best I could parenting. I really did. But, man, sometimes I made some huge mistakes. Sometimes I got mad at my kids when I shouldn't have and, and then didn't follow through sometimes when I should have. My boys bring this up to me all the time that they got in trouble and I spanked them because I knew one of them had broke my sprinkler and I was pretty sure it was my oldest son because he had just run over one the week before with the lawnmower. And I'm like, you broke another one. He's, Dad, I didn't break it, I didn't break it. Well, come to find out, and when I say come to find this, my daughter was third grade, fourth grade at the time. Come to find out, last year, they tell me, my daughter finally tells me, yeah, I'm the one who broke that sprinkler head. And my boys were like, we told you. And I, I felt bad because I did spank them. And I felt bad because my daughter was a liar. But here's where I said, guys, look, you know there was times I shouldn't have spanked you that I didn't, so it worked out. <laughs> but don't, don't you wish you could go back in time and change some things? Do some things differently? But see, time doesn't allow that. Time keeps moving, keeps moving, keeps moving. And I've, had, I've heard people say, time uh, moves quicker as you get older. Did you know that's actually true? I can explain this. 
When a child is one year old and they turn one, everybody, eh, they have the cake and they put their face in, you know, all this stuff. That, is, that year is 100% of their life. When they're five years old and you celebrate their fifth birthday, that is one twentieth, twenty, not twenty, one fifth, twenty percent of their life. Right? When they turn ten, that's ten percent of their life. You see what I'm saying? So, I'm fifty-three. Each year that I celebrate is a much smaller percentage every single year. And so in the overall concept of time, each year becomes less. So theoretically, it's moving faster. You're like, I don't think that works mathematically. <laughs> it does for my message. But you understand what I'm saying. It gets quicker because it's not as, each year is not as big as it used to be. I was having that conversation with my friend. I, I mentioned he passed away three years ago. And um, when he passed away, he was 97. And he was one of my closest friends of all time. And, and I was, we were talking about that one time. I was like 35 when we were talking about it. And I, so he was like in the wee hours of 80 years old or something like that, you know. And uh, he said, yeah, think about my life. He said, I wake up in the morning and it's next year. <laughs> all right. So if, if you could get, this is one of the things that I kind of live by is if I could go back in time and change something. Since I, I mean, if I want to go back in time and change something, since I can't, I try to figure out how can I change it going directionally forward. How can I change that? Because most of the time, if you want to change something, it was because of you. Now, some things you just wish you could change because they were tragedy or whatever, but most of the stuff is you. Well, you can change that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm still parenting adults, and I have two grandkids, so I'm going to do the best I can to learn from all those mistakes try to help my children with this now that they're adults, and, uh, and then just grandparent the bestest that anybody's ever grandparented. Right? Do I have an amen from the grandparents? Right. James chapter 4, verse 13. Look here, you say. Today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town, and we will stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. I think those are good ideas. Get a plan, do stuff. No, you should, you should plan for the future. I have a retirement plan. I mean, you should plan for the future. It's silly not to. But then he, he, um, James kind of makes a point here that we're not actually in control of a whole lot of things. He says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. It's here a little while, then it's gone. We had a kid in... in our youth group, he graduated 1992, and um, he, was, he was a genius. He, he, he was a valedictorian. He had scholarships to every university you can imagine, all this kind of stuff. He was a freshman at, at university, was an engineering student, and he was driving home, and the best I can tell, because somebody saw this from behind, he reached over to the floorboard maybe to pick up a CD or something, put it in his CD player. Lost control, car ran a throw, killed him. It, it, it devastated our youth group. It devastated Lynn and I. He was just a good kid, and he was at our house all the time, like half lived at our house. That, that was 1992. I still think about this today. This is 31 years later. I still think about this. 
And I think about the, the world lost something when they lost this kid. He, he was an amazing Christian. Genius. I, I don't understand those kind of things. I really don't. And I don't believe, oh, it was just his time to die. I don't believe that either. He could have, could have not reached over into the floorboard, right? But I do know this. God is still in charge of everything. And it, and it keeps me kind of focused on your, your, your life is very temporary. We like to think it's not, but your life is temporary. We're all going to die someday. Right? I don't know when, and I'm not trying to say this to scare you. I'm not. I'm just saying if, if James takes time to say it, then I think we should at least pay attention. Right? You've got one little shot at this thing called life. Do everything you can to make it about Jesus. Every single thing you can. Take your time, your energies, all this stuff. Make it about Jesus. second thing here is relationships. Are your relationships... Are they of God? Are they not of God? I think you need to have, um, you know, non-Christian friends, Christian friends, all that kind of stuff. But the difference is, is your non-Christian friends are also trying to bring them to Jesus. Guys, I, I'm, I'm going to say this pretty strongly here. You're not much of a friend if you don't care about their soul. You're just not. And if you're hanging out with people every single day and they're your buddy, they're your they're your girlfriend, they're all this kind of stuff, and you don't care about their soul, then how much do you really care about them? Or is this just how much they care about you that you're interested in? Their soul is in the balance. Do you care? Does, is it important to you? And yes, I am saying this specifically to make you feel guilty about this. Because we've got to, we've got to care about souls. We, we get one shot at this. You don't know how long you're going to be here. You don't know how long they're going to be here. Pray. Talk to God. Ask him, give me a chance, God. What can I do? How can I do this? How can I talk to them? Family members. What can I do about this? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God chose to save us. That's his choice. We didn't choose this. God chose to save us. You know what we chose was to eat the fruit. That's what we chose. God said, That's, I told you not to. I told you not to do that. Why did you do that? Don't you know this, this broke God's heart? It hurt him so badly when he sees them eating the fruit. After telling them, don't do this. Because you know what? He knew what was about to happen. He knew that their relationship was going to change forever. At least forever on this planet. Don't you think he, came, he liked coming and hanging out with them in the garden? I don't, I don't know what that looks like exactly. Scripture just tells us a little bit there. But in the cool of the evening when he normally came and hung out with them, walked with them. Don't you think he knew, okay, this is over. I don't get to do this anymore. Because now if I do it, they've added sin to this. They've destroyed this, this bond, this connection, this relationship. Now if I step into the garden, just my holiness will kill them. His holiness wouldn't kill them when they were walking in the garden with him previously. He says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not to pour out his anger on us. All my life growing up in church and then even the first handful of years, I was a youth pastor. 
I, I really thought, my, the way I saw Jesus was I thought Jesus was trying to catch me doing something wrong. It's the way I thought. And, and every night, I'd sin all day long, and then every night I would pray, God, please, if you come tonight, please forgive me and take me with you. Now, what kind of relationship is that? It's not healthy. And he says here, he didn't, he, Jesus Christ didn't come to pour out his anger on us. If he was going to do that, he could have done that without dying on the cross. Dying on the cross kind of proves that wasn't his intent. His intent was to save us. His intent was to have relationship again. His intent was to cover us with his blood and make us right with God, to pull us in close. It wasn't to, to somehow catch us being the bad guys. He said, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. He wants us to be with him. He wanted that from the beginning. We messed it up, and he wants us to be with him. So how, what does he say about this? If you understand this, if you understand that Jesus loves you, if you understand that Jesus died for you and wants to be close to you and wants to live forever with you, or as Scripture says, to be married with him, to him for eternity, he says here in verse 11, so encourage each other. That should be the response of a Christian to grace in their life is encourage each other. When, Jesus, when you recognize Jesus died for you, encourage each other. When you recognize that, that Jesus really loves you, encourage each other. That should be the outflow of this. Some of the Pentecostal churches I grew up in, it was Jesus died for me, so I'm going to judge others. That's not it. God didn't make us the judge. He made us the, the people that are going to show relationship and love and connect and commit. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you're already doing. So then the third one here is resources. And I'm going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about the biblical order of, of um, finances in Scripture. And again, as I said, it's um, giving to a building is not the priority. It's not the top priority for the Lord. So I'm like, whoo, I was going to give. Thanks for that. No, that's not what I mean either. He really wants you to give. No, I'm going to talk about that next week, that there is a priority. God says, do this, do this. And by the way, I, I constantly am fielding questions, and I don't think people are trying to do it wrong, but I constantly field questions about this where people get it unbalanced. It's not the scriptural balance. There is an order, and God has a specific plan. And if we'll do that, God will take care of us. He says that. Right? But we've got to get it right. We've got to get it in the right balance. So next week I'm going to go over that. And that's also going to include some of the things having to do with um, uh, how he's designed you. So your resources are not just financial. Your resources are everything about you. Your, your abilities and gifts are also your resources. Your, your personality is part of your resources. You know that? That's part of the resources that you have at your disposal. How you're wired, that, that's the resources you have at disposal to minister to somebody, pray for somebody. And I see this constantly. I'm always amazed by this. I just had a couple conversations this last week, uh, one here in Colorado Springs, one at the Capitol, where I could tell God is using this person for the way he designed them, and they don't even see this sometimes. So I had a conversation with them. Do you, know, you realize God wired you this way? What? God wired you this way. It's not natural. I mean, it's natural for you, but it's not natural for everybody. The reason you're this way is because God wanted you to be this way. Now use it for him. 
As you're the same way, you've got things about you. Okay, that's, I'm getting too far ahead. That's next week. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. As for me, Paul says, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. Don't you think he was thinking about stuff as he was saying that? Thinking about his life, thinking about circumstances, thinking about... When he says, it's already been poured out, there was moments when he was thinking, yeah, I poured out my existence here and this, and I remember when I did that. You know, as you get older, you can wax nostalgic easier. Part of the reason is because when you're five, there's not a lot to look back on. But when you're 75, you got some things to look back on, right? The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. I had a, had a professor at Denver Seminary that uh, was a retired missionary. And uh, you'd come there to be the chair of the missions department at Denver Seminary, and just a great speaker, great missionary heart. And he and I became pretty good friends through the process. And, you know, at that time I was 40 years his younger. And um, in one of the classes he said, I'm, I'm gonna, we're not going to teach from the book today. I'm just going to tell you something. And he talked about some of the things in his life. And he said, I used to think that starting strong and having the plan and doing all the stuff, that these are important things. And they are. He said, but then I realized everybody starts strong. Everybody starts strong. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be great. He said, it's finishing strong that's the key. It's not starting strong. And as, as a younger man, I'm processing that. It kind of changed, my, changed the way I look at me and my life and those kind of things. And what, what, what I am doing right now, does that transfer into um, a, a legacy for God in my future. We talk a lot about people where they're trying to leave a legacy. They're trying to, you know, this kind of thing. I want to leave a legacy, but not about me. I don't, I don't want people building statues to me. But if somebody can think of me, I'm saying, say 50 years after I'm dead and gone, if somebody can actually think of me that long afterwards and it make them think about Jesus, I've done my job. That's, that's what our lives are supposed to be about is does my legacy, is it actually the Lord's legacy and not my own? And do I finish stronger than when I started? Do I finish stronger? We all want to start strong. And then somewhere along the way, we can get distracted and lazy or whatever the case is. But, but I want to go out in a blaze of glory. To quote an 80s band. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. This is about Jesus. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. That's what we should be about, is, Lord, I want to look forward to you. You're coming to get me someday, and I'm living it. Like I believe that. My life is about you, and I'm living it like I believe that. Why don't you bow your heads? Let's pray. God, we, we submit ourselves, we submit this moment to you. That Jesus, you are the king of everything. Every single day is in your hands. Every single human is in your hands. Every every molecule you created designed. God, help us to, to not forget the fact that you're the king of 
of everything. You're the king of the universe, the creator of all things. God, we just submit to you. We submit our hearts and our minds to you. God, take our, take our lives. The Holy Spirit, I ask for through every single person in this room that, that we can truly think about this right now and commit ourselves to you. Lord, I commit me to you. I give you me. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. I want to ask you this question. Because I think, I think an all-in mentality happens cyclically in our life. There are certain times when we have to revisit this, certain transitions in our life, certain moments when we can tell we're backing off or something. I think you have to revisit this. Am I all in with the Lord? So I think there's, there's two places for us to go with this. Some of you may not have accepted Jesus. You may not, Jesus may not be your Savior. He may not be king over your life. But we need to start there. For some of you, you've served him maybe for a long time, but you're saying, you know what? I just want to recommit this in my mind and my spirit. Lord, I am all in with you. I want to recommit this. So we're going to pray. We're all going to pray together the same thing, but I want want to ask the two, two questions. If you say, I need to just give myself to Jesus, I need to do that right now this morning. I'd like you to raise your hand. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, if, you, if you're saying, you know, I think my relationship with the Lord is good, but I think I just need to, I think I need to recommit this or refocus or however you want to verbalize that. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. Just say, I just need Jesus to know I'm all in. I'm all in. Yeah. Okay, Lord, we come to you. You see, you see our hands. You see our hearts, more importantly. Lord, I want to tell you I'm all in. This, this place in my life, 2024, as a, as a father, as a husband, as a grandfather, as a pastor, as a, as a representative, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in with you. All those things are opportunities you've given me. But Jesus, the biggest thing is me. I give it to you. Lord, I pray for those that raise their hands that are saying, I, I, I don't belong to, to Jesus. Lord, just open their hearts and their minds right now. As all you have to do is just ask him, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me and be God over my life. Forgive me, wash me clean, and be God over my life. For every one of us, the same thing. Lord, just be God over my life. Wash me clean. Change my, my attitude or my laziness or wherever, wherever you are. Tell him, Lord, I just need you. Be God over my life. I commit myself. I commit myself to you. Fresh and new right now, I commit myself to you. I want to be all in with you. In Jesus' name.
that I need you and I need your blood covering me. I need your conviction. I need your encouragement. I need the power of your word. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. What better moment than now to take communion? So if, um, if you got in without grabbing one of the things back there, raise your hand real quick and um, they'll, bring, they'll bring them to you. <clears throat> Some of these guys down here too. You know, something I think that we forget about communion that I think is important is um, anybody else, everybody got communion? If you ever see it sitting back there, grab it because that's, that's the only reason it's sitting back there. Um, but, it, but one of the things I think we forget about communion, and I think this is important, okay, is... Um, Jesus talks first about the bread, right? And then he explains how the, the way that the bread is torn, or that's the example he uses, is in Isaiah it says, by his stripes you're healed. That means physical healing. I've heard some people teach that where it doesn't, they say, no, that doesn't mean physical healing, it means something else. Well, there are three other things mentioned there that are mental, emotional, and spiritual, but that specifically means physical healing. Okay? Scripturally, you can't, change that and be responsible. Plus, Peter then describes it later in the New Testament and says, by his stripes you were healed, past tense. So Peter explains to us what that is talking about in Isaiah 53, and it specifically means your physical body, healing for your physical body. Now, why is that important? Because your physical healing was provided on the cross the exact same moment that your spiritual healing, or what we call salvation. So Jesus dies on the cross and there's two other things mentioned in Isaiah 53 is the mental and emotional, right? A man of sorrows, crying with grief that re read through that. The mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical redemption, physical healing. So one of the things I think is important anytime I take communion, I've been doing this since I was a little kid, is I also pray God heal my body. Heal whatever's going on in my body. It's the same thing. It's the moment when he provides it. He doesn't he doesn't provide healing later in our life when we ask for it. He provides it at the cross. We just ask for it and accept it in faith later, just like we do, by the way, with salvation. Jesus provides the salvation on the cross 2,000 years ago. He didn't die on the cross yesterday so you could be saved yesterday. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. One day after that, you decided, I will accept that by faith in my life. And that's when you get saved. It's the same concept for healing. We make them different. They're not different. I do a lot more teaching about that in the journey, and I'll, and I'll do that um, on, a, on a Sunday here in this spring. But the idea that when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes care of it. That's why I pray for my body, and I pray for all of us to be healed while we're taking communion, because that's the moment we're thinking about it, or we should be, we're thinking about it. So what better moment to talk about it? So um, you say, well, I don't feel sick. I, I just pray for my body because I don't know what's going on inside. 
I know I, my blood seems to run very sweet with sugar, so I pray for my body, right? Let's pray. God, we, we, thank, you for, we thank you for taking the brutality of the cross. Thank you for taking the whipping, the beating, all the stuff physically so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be healed. You specifically told us, Lord, help us to embrace it. Not to believe about this, but just to believe you. So, Lord, even as we're taking this, we're remembering your body being torn. Lord, we also ask you to heal us. You said that's what it's for. So heal us. Whatever's going on with with people in this room, God, heal us. People that are not here that are, that are sick, heal them, Lord Jesus. Lord, a couple people in our church that are struggling with cancer, Lord, heal them. Heal them in the name of Jesus. G, right now in Arizona, she is struggling with this. Lord, heal her. And we thank you for this gift, this promise, this amazingness. Let's take the bread together. And he broke the bread into pieces. And he said, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this to remember me. Lord, we remember you right now. We remember that you did this. You did this, Lord. And we're humbled by this. Jesus also took the cup and he explained that this is, this is the new covenant. This is the fulfillment of the old law. This is the finalization of this. And he says he does this through his blood. And I think what we just prayed a little bit ago, I think anytime you take communion, you should start with Jesus, forgive me. That's what the blood does, covers us, forgives us, makes us right with God. And we're doing this to remember it. Lord, we ask you to wash us clean. And our mind, our spirit, our heart just wash us clean. Lord, as we take this, we are signifying, we are, we are shouting out that you are coming again. That you are coming again. We're remembering what you did because you're coming again. And we thank you for this. Let's take the drink together. The same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Guys, verse 26, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for including us. Thank you for letting us be a part of this. Lord, thank you for letting us be a part of your kingdom. Thank you for letting us be part of the body of Christ. Jesus, you're so big. You're so amazing. Lord, help me to act like it every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you an opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can, and God will honor that in your life. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here. And... um, If you're not signed up and you're coming tonight, let me know.
If not, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.